Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for sharing from your heart and sharing the gospel there and that prayer that he prayed at the end. If anybody prays a prayer like that, they mean it in their heart, trusting in Jesus Christ and His grace, the Bible says you will be saved. Uh, because of not anything on our part, not our merit, but because of the merit of Christ, of who He is and what He's done. And that's really the heart of Psalm 23. As we finish this today, uh, let's look at this together. I want to read Psalm 23 for us. Uh, final time today is a part of this series. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The shepherd's psalm begins there in verse 1 with David expressing confidence and contentment in God as his good shepherd. Because the Lord was his shepherd, David says, I lack no good thing. It's almost like David is boasting. He's saying, the Lord, he's my shepherd. And when he's your shepherd... You have everything you need. Well, this last verse echoes that same confident boasting right here in these concluding thoughts. This benediction of praise and thanksgiving, David summarizes the essence of the entire psalm. When the Lord is your shepherd, you won't lack a thing. When you're tired, hungry, thirsty, He makes you lie down and rest in luscious pastures. He leads you beside still quiet waters. And if you wander away... He restores you and leads you down the right paths. And even when those right paths lead us through dark valleys filled with danger, you don't have to be afraid because He's with you. He comforts you by His presence that protects and guides. He defends you from predators. He lays out a feast before you even while you're surrounded by enemies as if you were His honored guest and under His protection. He's anointed your head with the oil of His Holy Spirit to guard your mind, to give you peace, to remind you of His truth. And He blesses you with such abundance that your cup overflows so that His goodness and His mercy will touch the lives of the people around you. Is it any wonder that David ends this psalm with such a hopeful boast? He's saying when the Lord is your shepherd, only goodness and mercy will be yours. That's what you can expect from the loving hand of your master. We've journeyed with David these past six weeks now. From green pastures and still waters, down right paths, through dark valleys, past gathered enemies, to a banquet table filled with honor and abundance. And here at the end we approach the Father's palace. And we can say with confidence, that whatever may come in life, we can be assured that goodness and mercy will always be in the picture. And so this last verse, it's like the rejoicing of, of a worshipful soul. And that's going to be our focus today. And so I want us to examine this last verse phrase by phrase. The first phrase is surely. Here we see David confessing his confidence in God. And we, with David, can confess our confidence in God. 
David's letting us know that what he's about to tell us is a fact as certain as it is comforting. With this simple word, David tells us that when God is our shepherd, goodness and mercy are guaranteed to follow us all the days of our lives. That's what that word surely means. It's a promise that's been signed, sealed, delivered. It's ours. You get that? The Hebrew word surely can also be translated as only. So the promise is that only goodness and mercy will follow us, will pursue us all the days of our lives. Now imagine goodness and mercy like guardian angels following following us always through the bright days and the bleak days, through the times of fasting and the times of feasting. It's like these two angels are always behind us guarding our way. Now David isn't suddenly denying the existence of dark valleys or of our enemies. Rather, he's saying that at the end of the day, they're nowhere to be found. We passed through the dark valleys, right? Through it means they're, they're behind us. They're gone now. Our enemies have fled. And now as we near the Father's house, when we look behind us, all we see are His goodness and His mercy. One old Scottish preacher said, The Lord is my shepherd, I, and He has two fine collie dogs, goodness and mercy. They will see us safely home. I like that. I like to think of goodness and mercy like two fine collie dogs. Now, I want us to take those two fine collie dogs. We're going to ask them to sit and stay right there, okay? We're going to come back to them in a few minutes. But right now, I want to talk about what those two dogs do for us. So let's skip ahead to this phrase, will follow me all the days of my life. Here we see David celebrating God's character. We celebrate God's character. Often, shepherds had an assistant shepherd, maybe a young shepherd in training, or they would have a good, fine sheepdog with them. And their job would be to follow behind the flock on this final stretch home to keep away any predators that might be trying to follow them home, you know, wanting to, to pick off one of those slow, tired, or straying sheep at the end of a long day's journey, right? The sheep, they're tired, they're, their guard is down, they're not being very vigilant, and you might have a, a wolf or a lion kind of lurking in the back wanting to snatch one of them at the last second. So you'd have this assistant or you'd have the sheepdog behind the flock to protect them. Sometimes the shepherd would have to be the one who would go from leading out front. If he was there by himself, he'd go from leading out front to following behind. Because at this point, they're near home. The sheep know the way. They know where they're going. The concern is no longer leading them. The concern is to guard their rear, to keep them moving when they get tired, to grab that stray sheep before he wanders off, to to pick up that young lamb that just can't keep up anymore and to carry it in his arms and to fend off any last-minute attack. In John chapter 10, as we've talked about many times, Jesus compares himself, he defines himself as the good shepherd, as the one who lays down his own life for his sheep, who knows his sheep, who calls them by name, and they hear his voice, know his voice, and they follow him because they belong to him. Jesus, our shepherd, gives us abundant life. He protects his flock as he himself lays down across the gate of the fold. He becomes that door through whom we enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus goes on to say in verses 28 and 29 of John 10 that no one 
can snatch his sheep out of his hand. No one can take away the sheep that belong to him. So when we reach that final stretch of life's journey, we can have assurance. Our shepherd's not going to leave us behind. He's not going to let us come in at the last minute and, or let anybody come in at the last minute and steal us away. And so on our journey home to God's eternal presence as Christians, we don't have to worry about losing our way, about losing our salvation, about somehow missing the gate into the kingdom and ending up somewhere else. We have the assurance of our shepherd that no one will snatch us out of his hand. He will ensure that we make our way home. God, our shepherd, is always there. I love the way Isaiah puts this in Isaiah 30, 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Our shepherd is always there. This is the way. Not that way. Not that way. This is the way. Walk in it. He won't let us wander off. He's behind us, keeping us on that right path. Isaiah 52, 12 says, For the Lord will go before you. And then it says, And the God of Israel will be your rear guard. He's before us and He's behind us. Or as in Hebrews 12, 2, it says that we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer, some translations say the author, and He is the perfecter or finisher of our faith. Our shepherd goes before us, leading the way, pioneering and authoring our faith, but He's also our rear guard. He's behind us, encouraging us and helping us to finish, to perfect our journey home. Now, typically, when you think about somebody following you, it's not a good thing, is it? Right? I mean, we've seen enough movies, you know. you got that car that's kind of following you a couple cars back. It's not a good sign, is it, Jay? You know, when you think about walking home at night, maybe you're off somewhere unfamiliar and somebody's kind of following behind you, you get a little creeped out, don't you? Typically, we don't like to think about somebody following us, but it depends on who's doing the following. Amen? That makes a big difference. So as our shepherd leads his flock home, after guiding us through the dark valleys and defending us and providing for us in the midst of our enemies, when we're weary, we're tired, we're just ready to be home, rather than a wolf or a lion following behind us, it's goodness and mercy. It's those two fine collie dogs. It's our old faithful companions. They've been there with us all along, whether we knew it or not. So now let's call those two sheepdog over and let's give them each a good looking over. Can we do that? The first one's name is goodness. Goodness. The Hebrew word there is the word tov. And that word is often translated as pleasant, useful, beautiful, good. It's the same word that you read over and over and over again in Genesis 1. After every day, it's evening and it's morning, God looks at what He created and He says it's what? Good. And on that final day, He looks and He says it's very good. It's tov-tov. It's doubly good. And here, in Psalm 23, 6, God promises us that when we belong to His flock, His goodness will pursue us throughout all of our life. Even when bad things happen to us, if we belong to Him, His goodness can take those dark valleys. His goodness can take the briars and the rocky paths. 
His goodness can even take the predators and the thieves that surround us and He can turn it all into something good, useful, beneficial, pleasant, beautiful. He can bring beauty from the ashes. Whereas Romans 8.28 says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is you've gone through, whatever enemies and obstacles are in your way, God can take them and use them for good. And knowing all we know about David's life, about his faults, his failings, his struggles, the hardships he endured, Notice he doesn't see himself as surrounded by or followed by evil here at the end of life's journey. No, he's looking back and what does he see behind him? Goodness. The reason that he can say he fears no evil is because God is before him and behind him and beside him. God is with him through it all. Jesus tells us in Luke 18, 19 that God really is the only one who's good. He says, don't call me good, only God is good. And what that means is that any goodness within us, or any goodness that we experience in the world or at the hands of others, is just a shadowy reflection of God's goodness. Whatever good you've experienced in your life, know that God's goodness is infinitely greater than that. But God's goodness, without God's mercy... It's kind of vague. See, God's goodness and God's mercy are inseparable components of His gracious love and care for His sheep. Which is why these two qualities are often mentioned together. Just as a few examples in Psalm 86, 5. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Psalm 105. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Twice in Psalm 106, we see this idea of mercy and love and goodness combined. Five times in Psalm 118. Twenty-five times in Psalm 136, we read about God's goodness, His tov, and His chesed, His merciful love. And that's just in the Psalms. These two qualities, it's like two sides of the same coin. So we've talked about God's tov, His goodness. Let's talk about God's chesed. His mercy or His love. Some translations say love. Some say mercy. This word can be translated in a lot of ways. English translators don't really know what to do with this word because there is no direct equivalent to this word in English. But this Hebrew word, chesed, it's H-E-S-E-D, but you've got to say it with that at the end, in the back of your throat, right? This chesed is a unique Hebrew term. It can be translated love, mercy. Some translations will say loving kindness. But it carries with it this idea of God's faithful covenant love to His people. It's a love of deep commitment. A shepherd who loves his sheep so much that he dwells with them day and night. He keeps a constant watchful eye, meets their every need, and is even willing to lay down his life for them. That is chesed. And David recognizes that God follows after him, cares for him, not because of anything David has done, but because of God's covenant faithfulness to him. And see, there's an element of grace in here because while God is faithful to his covenant relationship to David, has David been faithful to his end of that covenant? 
Are you and I always faithful to our end of the bargain? No. But God always is. As David writes in Psalm 86, 15, echoing God's own self-description of Himself in Exodus 34, David writes, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's hesed. I like to think of mercy as what happens when the person from whom I should expect nothing instead gives me everything. That's mercy. It's not based on me, on anything within myself, on anything that I have done. It's not based on my merit. It's based on God's covenant faithfulness. And the only way, the only way we can even count ourselves among God's sheep is by that mercy. Right? We don't deserve God. We don't deserve Him as our good shepherd. We don't deserve to be in His flock and experience His provision and His protection and His presence. And the only way that any of us will ever see His palace is through His grace and mercy. Amen? Now, Satan, our great enemy, the greatest of all of our enemies, has one objective. To destroy us by drawing us away from God's mercy, His hesed, His love. To draw us away and deceive us about His goodness. That's what He did in Eden. It's exactly what the serpent did. Sowing doubt about God's goodness so as to drive us away from God's love. That's what he does. And Satan uses anxiety, guilt, fear to tempt us away from our shepherd's good provision and protection and presence. He he wants us to wander away. He wants us to be cast down because when we are, then we're easy prey. He's roaming around seeking whom he may devour. Satan's fundamental deception has always been, God's holding out on you. God's holding out on you. It's the lie he told Eve. It's how he tempted Jesus. He tells us that our shepherd can't or won't supply all of our needs, that he can't really be trusted to lead us through the dark valleys, that he might lead us down the wrong path. That's what Satan tells us. Now, how do we combat these kinds of hellish lies? What do we say when doubt raises up its bitter head? Sure, you know, we can point to specific examples, and all of us in this room could point to specific examples in our own lives or in the lives of others where God has met a need, where God has took care of us, where God has answered a prayer. We can do that, and that's a powerful thing. Those words of testimony are powerful. But the ultimate answer to Satan's lie that God doesn't really care, that God isn't really good, that God is holding out on you, that you can't trust God, that God doesn't understand, that God doesn't love you, the ultimate answer to those lies is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the power of the cross that we sang about earlier. Yes, the world is full of dark valleys. Yes, we suffer and we get hungry and thirsty. Yes, there are predators and enemies that surround us. But as Psalm 22 prophesied, our good shepherd also became a sheep. And He willingly died for us. He suffered in every way you and I will ever suffer. He had enemies. He went through dark valleys. Author Dorothy Sayers beautifully explains it like this. She writes, For whatever reason, 
God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he's playing with his creation, he's kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. Whatever it is that you're going through in this life, Jesus understands. He knows what it's like to be a sheep, just like you and me. He knows how we feel. He knows how we think. Or as Hebrews 4 puts it, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us. In our time of need. If you are ever in doubt. About God's goodness or his mercy and love. Just remember that your shepherd laid down his life for you. Look to the manger. And think about how the infinite, infinite, holy, all-powerful, all-knowing God. Limited himself into a human body. Inhabiting space and time. He took on the form of a humble servant. He got sleepy and hungry, and sad, and lonely. He wanted friends. He had to earn money. He had to make fire to cook his food over. He had to find clean water to drink. He faced his own temptations and enemies who hated him enough to arrest him with false charges to torture him and to crucify him. So however bad life is for you and me, look to the cross. Consider what Jesus has done for you. See the love of God on display where the wrath of a holy God was satisfied. He who knew no sin became sin that you and I I might take upon ourselves the righteousness of God. So through every circumstance and stage of life, God is there. He's there to comfort our hearts, to supply our needs, to ease our minds, to restore our souls. He gives us all we need to live life to the fullest here. And He even gives all we need to live life eternally when this life is over. That's the final phrase that David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here we see David craving God's company. We should be craving God's company. Because ultimately our shepherd wants wants to bring us home. To be with Him forever. That's the end goal of His care throughout this psalm. It's not just to get us through the difficult times. There's an end goal. There's a direction that He's leading us toward. Again, look at how David opens and closes this psalm of praise and trust. He opens with this statement of joy and confidence. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And he ends it with joyful hope. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Imagine being so at home with our shepherd, with our Father in heaven, our our host, our heavenly host. Imagine being so at home that we never want to leave. And the good news is, there's no 
time to go home. Because guess what? We are home. We are home with our Father. Now, when we read house, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, you might read that and think that David's talking about the temple. Okay, that David, who wanted to build the temple, is talking about wants to dwell in the temple forever. And so the application for that logically would be that you want to dwell in the church building forever. Anybody want to dwell in the church building forever? Because I can keep going. I mean, it's... No, that's not what house means. Or maybe you think that it means heaven. I, I definitely think it includes heaven. I'll talk about that in a minute. But I think first and foremost what David is saying is that he will forever be a part of God's flock. He will forever be a member of the Lord's household. David is telling us that if God is our shepherd, we are family forever. David is acknowledging that his life is always surrounded by God's presence. It's like the Old Testament reading this morning in Psalm 27.4. says that our, she, our chief desire should be to seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to seek Him in His holy temple. So seeking Him in His holy temple is only part of this idea of dwelling in the house of the Lord. God's house is bigger than this room. Amen? God's house is bigger than you or me. All of creation belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But certainly David had in mind this ultimate ultimate heavenly home. That, That certainly was part of what David was thinking about. Because we really can see Psalm 23 as a journey. And that final destination is heaven. And listen, heaven isn't just a little like home. Okay, Just as all the goodness we experience in this life is a mere shadow compared to God's ultimate goodness. So everything that we would think of as being home in this world is merely a sign, a reflection of the ultimate reality of living in the Father's house, in the new heaven and the new earth. Someday Jesus will return. He will make all things new. He will set everything right. And we will truly, for once, forever, we will feel at home. In his final book of his The Chronicles of Narnia series, uh, the book The Last Battle, C.S. Lewis writes about how the citizens of Narnia are entering into Aslan's country. And Aslan is a, is a type of Jesus. It's all an allegory. And so Aslan has come and he's basically destroying the old Narnia. He's making a new Narnia. And one of the characters, a unicorn, says this, I have come here at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it until now. The reason I love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Mm. That's what the new heaven and the new earth will be like. We will discover that everything in this life, everything on this earth that we love, but is because it looked a little bit like heaven. It was all a reflection. It was all pointing us toward home where all the lost things are found, where all the sad things come untrue. And as C.S. Lewis also wrote, where the great bleeding wound from all which all of us suffer will be eternally healed. There will be no more guilt, no more shame, no more fear, only healing and wholeness and peace and joy and love. 
As Jesus said, my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. I pray this morning that you are a part of God's flock, of the Lord's family, of His household, and that when Christ comes again or when you take that step through that final valley of the shadow of death, you will find yourself at home in the Father's house, the palace that Jesus has prepared for you. Listen, church, we rub shoulders every single day with men and women who are on the other side of the fence. They are outside of God's flock. And they're hungry, they're thirsty and tired, they're afraid They're unprotected and they are lost. Church, are we living in such a way that when they look at us, they envy what we have? Are we living in such a way that when those outside the flock look in at us, they say the grass really is greener on that side of the fence? Because their shepherd is a good shepherd. He really does take care of them. He really does love them. I want to be a sheep in his flock. Because for those of you who are apart from Jesus Christ, listen, this old world is a pretty wretched ranch. And Satan is a heartless owner. He doesn't care for you, for your soul, or for your welfare. Every life under his tyranny is hungry and thirsty and discontented. And whether you know it or not, your heart longs to enter the household of God. You ache to be a part of his flock. But there's only one way. You get into his fold. And it's through the gate. Through the shepherd himself. Jesus Christ. Have you received God's free gift of mercy? Have you turned from your sinful wanderings and cried out for God's mercy to forgive your sin and restore your heart? Listen, God wants to give you a clean heart. He wants to put a right spirit, his spirit, within you. Because Jesus laid down his life for his sheep. You can become a sheep in His fold. You can become a child in God's family. You can begin life anew today and know all these blessings that we've discussed in Psalm 23. If you have any doubt in your mind whether you're a part of the Lord's flock, I pray this morning that you would cry out to Him, to His mercy and His grace, to say, God, forgive me, not because of anything that I'm deserving of it in any way, not because I've gone to church, not because I think I'm a good person. God, forgive me for wandering off. Forgive me for my sins and save me. Jesus, I want you to be my shepherd. Pray that prayer today. I I beg of you. And you will know the mercy and the goodness of God all the days of your life. Maybe you're one of the sheep already, but you've strayed off course. You've wandered away. You've maybe become cast down a little too comfortable, a little too content. And you need to be motivated. You need to be burdened again for the lost, for reaching your one. You need to maybe come back to church. And you, maybe you've been using COVID as just an excuse, but you have no problem spending a couple hours at Walmart. I'm praying for you if that's true. But, you know, if you can do that, you can come and worship. Maybe today you need to come in prayer. This altar is open. Or if you're at home, you need to do some business with your shepherd and make a course correction. Perhaps this morning God is leading you to our church to join our congregation. You're already a part of His flock, but this is the pasture that He wants to bring you to. 
to find that rest and that refreshment, to be fed and to grow in your faith and to find a place to serve. We would love to have you come and to, and to worship and serve and fellowship with us in this pasture beside these still waters. Whatever God has laid upon your heart this morning or through this entire sermon series, I pray that you would trust Him, that you would listen to the voice of your shepherd, and that you would obey. Would you stand and pray with me and then you come as God's Spirit leads. God, our good and gracious shepherd, you truly love us more than we could ever understand. We, we can only begin to comprehend on a, on a very basic level the depth of your love and your, your faithful commitment to us for the sake of your own name, for your own glory, and as a part of your own sovereignty. You chose to come as a baby, to live on this life, to die on the cross, to take our sin and shame upon yourself, that we might know and have your righteousness. That we might become members of your flock. And if there's anyone today that's never experienced that, I pray they would today. They would be born anew and afresh as your son or daughter. Father, whatever you are speaking to our hearts, maybe about our being too comfortable or our straying a little off the course and we need to come back to you and be renewed in our commitment and our desire to worship and to serve and to follow in your footsteps, I pray that we would do that today. If there's anybody that you are leading to come and to join our own little local flock here at First Baptist Church, I pray that they would step out in faith and trust and do that. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy that truly follows us all the days of our life that we might dwell in your house forever. Amen.